Leon Brown, and you are watching Man versus Brand. All right, so uh, when when people have the ability to um, do multiple things, uh, they're called poly, right? So uh, you can speak multiple languages. You're called a poly what I believe, right? You have multiple partners. You are polyamorous or ah, we'll, we'll get into that later. Um, if you do multiple things artistically, you're just kind of called multidiscipline. There's really no sort of all encompassing term for folks who are multidisciplined in art in a way that allows them to um, take hold and shape of different mediums. Now, if you are creative, then you thoroughly recognize that you may have a preference for one form or another, but the reality is, is that there is a general interest in all forms. Uh, it is common to find out that painters were also musicians, actors can also sing. Um, those who are steeped in the arts oftentimes find themselves in spaces where they are producing varying forms with one form typically being predominant. Um, there are a few, you know, beyond Sanders for all you old school folks that can do two things equally well in two very different spaces. Um, nowadays, I think uh, social media has proliferated this idea of sort of skill curation. This idea that you show that you can do this, you show that you can do that, and whatever sort of works out, works out. Whatever does it, doesn't. But true artistry really doesn't care about that. It doesn't care about preferred mediums. It doesn't care about um, audience appreciation. It truly produces art for art's sake, and it finds its audience, and its audience appreciates what it does. The other thing about artistic folks is that they tend to have crazy stories, right? I'm going to cut off my ear. I'm going to go hiking for a year. I'm going to end up in an Asian jail. Right? Like, folks just end up doing things that you're just like, how'd you get there? If you listen to other episodes, I've talked about this sort of fine line between genius and something else, right? Where where the artistry is such that it, uh, it starts to take on a form of its own. It starts to live and breathe, and the artist is really just the medium for it. Then I think that there's something else. There's something that's more aligned to storytelling, where something occurs, and from that occurrence, a person creates deeply interesting, deeply introspective art. And that art can take the form of theater, playwriting, writing, music, songwriting, painting, mixed media, graphic design. The list goes on and on. But the hope is, is that from life experience, you produce something that exists in the world and maybe everyone loves it or maybe just one person. That's the beauty of art. You never quite know. 
So I'm going to talk to a talented person who wrote about his own journey and what happened to him in a jail, how he ended up there out in China. Also, we're going to talk about uh, multidisciplined art, um, taking one art form and producing something else from it, using your artistry and craft to make different types of art, and question maybe what it is to be an artist. I've had this conversation with other artists on this podcast. I'm glad to have it with Chancellor A. Jackson. This is Man versus Brand. And we're going to start this episode in five, four, three, two, one. Yo, it's 2023 and I have a mind-blowing theory to share. Are you game for it? Let's go. You are listening to Man vs. Brand, meaning you're a man or a woman and you're a brand. Or you're a man or woman who is leading and making a brand. Or maybe you're in fact a part man, part brand cyborg and killing it as a Terminator. With 20 years expertise in guiding and coaching, I'm having the conversations for mans, brands, womans, and corporate conglomerates like Skynet. Hasta la vista, baby. Chancellor, why don't you introduce yourself to the audience? Say what's up. Hey, what's going on? What's going on? Blessings and balance to everyone that's tuning in right now. Blessings and balance to Dion for having me on his show and allowing me to promote and display who I am and what I offer. Um, name is Chancellor K. Jackson from Atlanta, Georgia, born and raised. Um, very chill, laid back, humble dude, easy going, on the earth. Um, very motivational, natural born leader. Um, you name it, just a jack of all trades, you know what I'm saying? A breath of fresh air, all in all, as a spirit. Um, play football, vast majority of my life. Got to play in high school, and then got the opportunity to play at the next level. Um, D1 football down at Stetson University, go Hatters. Um, that's where I obtained my bachelor's degree in communication and media studies. After graduation, um, I landed my first job teaching English to children in China. So that's how I ended up in China. Um, I was teaching kids as young as three years old, all the way up to 14. But mainly was working with elementary school age range. So I was with the babies for the most part. Um, but I absolutely enjoyed it. I enjoyed teaching. I never thought I would be teaching, especially going from the student athlete to now I'm the facilitator in the classroom. Wait, pause, pause. Because you're not, this is an hour-long show. <laughs> I feel like you're, you're, you're about to hit a mark a little too early. So let's back, we're going to slow this down a little bit, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> so, so first, I, I want to get into a conversation about um, identity and naming. Right. So you started off the, the episode. Well, you started off the episode um, wishing balance to everyone. Right. And right now we're in retrograde. I don't know when this is going to happen. You and I had a funny conversation about that. But uh, I swear to God, everyone swears that retrograde is ruining their lives. I think I told you for me, it's, it feels like it's benefiting me. I wish you all balance also. I hope that retrograde is doing for y'all what it's supposed to be doing for me. All right, but what I want to talk to you about is naming and identity. So you started off with a list of things that you are, mm. right? And and I just recently had a conversation with someone where we were talking about um, identity and the power of identity, right? The power of, of affirming who you are um, and affirming who you are not only for your present person, but also for your future personhood, right? Mm-hmm. So I may be like, um, I'm an athlete, right? And and 
in this moment, I may not presently be an athlete, but I may be pursuing athletic endeavors, right? So the more that I affirm my own athleticism, the more likely I am to pursue myself as an athlete because I have now incorporated that into a part of my own self-definition, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so as you're naming things, right, <clears throat> as you're naming who you are, um, how much of it is, is who you presently are right now? How much of it is what you are projecting as your future self? And how much of it is an observation of who you have been? Right? Because when we talk about ourselves, we're talking about who yeah. we were, who we are, and who yeah. we hope to be. Right? So how much of, of what you're defining right now for your own identity is, is your present, your past, and, and your future? Um, far as past, just student athlete, football player. That's far as the best of those, the past identities. Um, but I lived, I embodied those identities to a T for a very long time, like full throttle. Um, so presently, um, I just named character characteristics. Yeah. So far as titles, entrepreneur, um, educator, coach. Yeah, those are those are, and often into the characteristics. So I think the characteristics is is probably more important than the titles, right? Yeah. You can be a you can be a horrible leader and be a leader, <laughs> right? You could be you could be you could be a piss poor entrepreneur but still launch businesses, right? But you are affirming some positive adjectives and insights about yourself, right? So so as you're moving through life right now, right, like you know, what, again, are you seeing as, as currently being produced in your life? And how, what, how much of it are you like, man, I, I, you, might, you might be a leader, right? But you might also see yourself leading an organization, right, in the future, right? So that's a little bit of you sort of moving in your future self. You may be a leader of a person, but you also may be envisioning a life where you are leading organizations. So how much of it is you affirming who you are and then, affirming what that future version of you will look like. Shit, about 100%. Everything that I listed, all those characteristics, that's who I am currently, and it's due to everything that has transpired up until this point. But everything that we go through is preparation for in store, for what's in store as well. Um, so, cool. yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> all right, so 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 now we're, we're back to the story. You're teaching, you're in China. Yeah, it's some. It's some. You're, you're teaching some of the younger grades. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to me about what interested you about um, going to China in order to teach. So, once football came to an end for me, November 2017, that was just my last college football game. NFL wasn't in the picture, so I'm like, well, Chancellor, who are you? What's next? <laughs> What's Plan B? Um, what do you like? What do you enjoy? Uh, what do you see yourself doing? You know what I'm saying? What's your purpose? I couldn't answer any of these questions, but I knew I needed to start somewhere. Um, so I just started applying for jobs, mainly corporate positions. Uh, and I was having success landing interviews, getting flown out, put up in hotels the whole night. You know what I'm saying? But I just could not seem to land a position, despite how many interviews I was able to land. Um, and I did this process for about eight months. I done graduated. I'm back home. 
I'm just like, bro, what? I didn't do everything the quote unquote textbook way to still, you know what I'm saying, be sitting here with my ass out. Like, bro, something got to give. Like, something that's, I, I got, I'm got to do something differently. It's clearly what I am doing, or at least the path I'm trying to go down, that ain't for me. So I got to reapproach this uh, job searching thing. Um, so, Rick, so Rick, hold on. So, so, and this is gonna happen a lot. This is, this For sure. Kind of how, 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 how I do things. All right. So, so you say from you said you were from Atlanta, mm-hmm. right? Now, are you from the city of Atlanta? I think we talked about this. I went to Emory, so I spent a lot of time in, okay. in Atlanta. Um, yeah. <laughs> see, in Atlanta, like in Atlanta, I don't even know how to say Atlanta. Just like <laughs> Atlanta. all right. So I spent some time in Atlanta, right? So are you from Atlanta? Probably are you from like. Um, outskirts. Outskirts. So talk, talk to me about the outskirts. We're, 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 yeah. So I'm from Smyrna. For those that are familiar of, you know what I'm saying, that's familiar with Atlanta, I'm from Smyrna specifically. All right. So Smyrna, if I remember correctly, Smyrna's a little bit above Marietta. No? It is, I think it's slightly below. Yeah, it's below Marietta. Below Marietta. All right, fine. Yeah. Okay. So, so the, I'm frameworking this because I, I, so much of Atlanta and the surrounding areas around Atlanta um, is about bringing in talent, right? So, so Atlanta seems to bring in talent, and I think that there's a general idea that because there are there's UGA, Georgia Tech, Emory, uh, Morehouse, Clark, uh, Spelman, that so much of the talent is driven by people that are in Atlanta or in the surrounding areas, really growing in, but you find that a lot of folks move from other places professionally to end up in this area. So finding a job in Atlanta, being near Atlanta, isn't as simple as it might seem to a person who's listening, right? Because the person who's listening is like, well, why can't he find a job in Atlanta? He lives in Atlanta. Atlanta might be easy to find a job in. But Atlanta as a whole... Seems to find a lot of their talent other places because Atlanta is one of the the most affordable metro cities, maybe outside of um, Dallas, Houston, maybe Charlotte, and that's kind of about it. Like especially if you're in the South, Atlanta is super affordable for kind of the opportunities there. So a lot of people move into Atlanta or move into the surrounding areas around Atlanta in order to get opportunities. But a lot of folks that live in Atlanta don't necessarily get the same opportunities as those who are brought in. That's an observation I've made through friendship, relationships, professional relationships over the course of my life. Um, I don't know if that's happening to you, but I wanted to explain that to the audience for those who might say, well, why was he in Atlanta and ended up um, in China? There, <laughs> there ended up a, a disproportionate kind of um, employment situation in Atlanta that lends itself to trying to find jobs in other cities, even if you, even if you legitimately want to stay in the city. Facts. And then I, I had a girlfriend at the time as well. She still lived in Florida, so I was applying for jobs in Atlanta and Florida as well. Really, I was at that point in time. I was so adamant about having something lined up. Before I graduated, that I was applying for jobs. It didn't matter where them shits was in the United States. Yeah, I, I'm on the search engine. I hit national. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm searching the whole United States, coast to coast. Like I'm, 
I'm not afraid to step outside my comfort zone at all. Clearly, because I took my ass all the way across the world. <laughs> right. you know so, okay, so 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 you are you're finding your you're trying to find your way, right? Um, I imagine you get a phone call, email, something from an organization that focuses on um, education. So was it direct from China? Was it a third-party organization? You got placed there. How did you end up? What was that? What was the correspondence like that got you from looking at corporate jobs to mm-hmm. being in education? After just applying and not having any success, it was really I had one good interview. It was like a um, sales marketing job for Fujifilm up in Chicago. They flew me out there for the interview. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to get this. This yeah. is it right here. I didn't get it. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, all right, bro, forget corporate. Yeah. We're gonna, that's quiet. We're going to, I'm like, okay, what are you good at chance? You get at talking to people, working with people, you know what I'm saying? dealing with people. So I'm like, all right, social work. All right. I just typed in social work in the search and just hit enter. And then in, in uh, one of the filters, I've never noticed this done before. I've never noticed this filter before. It said international. I was like, hmm. Why haven't I ever thought to look outside the U.S. opportunities? Now, at this point, did you have a passport? Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. I was a late boomer. I didn't, I didn't have a passport. <laughs> like, uh, until I was probably in college. You know, until I was in college, I think I didn't get a passport until it was time um, to go to maybe like Tijuana, like somewhere like that. Somewhere Cancun, maybe. It was like one of those things where I was like, if you don't get this right now, you don't go to spring break, your life is going to be different. And I was like, all right, well, I guess I got a passport. But before then, I never knew, I didn't even understand kind of how international travel worked. So at this point, like international actually, hitting that filter, international actually was a possibility. For sure. Yeah, I would. I've been to London twice before, um, and I've been to the Bahamas three times. So that's just a little bit of international experience I do have. Yeah. Um, but you, me, I'm man, I'm I, I'm a Sagittarius, so I have very, very high expectations of myself. A natural born traveler um, and adventurous. So, um, anything that sounds like it's gonna be adventurous is gonna be fun. Oh yeah, I'm pretty much going to be down for it. <laughs> Nine times out of ten. So, so, once I... Um, so, you hit that filter, and then... Yeah, I'm just going through the list. Cool. And then I teach English in China. Teach uh, English to children in China. I said, hmm, that sounds fine. That sounds lit. That sounds adventurous. What's the requirements? B- uh, bachelor's degree, don't matter what your degree is in. Yeah. Mean background. Yeah. Native English speaker. Yep. That's all they needed. I was like, oh, all I had to do was submit a resume. Boom, boom. Okay. And went on about my search. Like a couple of days passed, hear back from the recruiter. We set up an interview. We do the interview. Some more days passed. She reached back out to me. Like, yeah, we want to move forward with you as a candidate. And it was like, after all this time, you know, saying all these trial and errors, interviewing and not landing anything, the first job, tell me yes. First people to bet on me were. You know what I'm saying? This company on the other side of the world. You know what I mean? Now, now you said so so you had this girlfriend, this partner out in Florida. So yeah. you're now excited about this opportunity in China. 
Yeah, so, yeah. so what's this conversation like? Because I imagine the result, the intended result was I'm moving to Florida or at least, you know, the, 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 the flights between Florida and Georgia, regardless of where you are, is, is most two hours, right? So yeah. it moved from like being super close to I'm going to be on the other side of the world. What was that conversation like? Um, pretty much she was, she, she was accepted. Like she was really encouraging me to go. Cause she just had, she's had known the journey of me just landing the, all these opportunities, having all these opportunities in the, I'm talking about in the palm of my hand. And then at the last second, it's just when blow it away. I'm just like, and I'm back to square one all over again. So just through all that trial and error, I finally landed something that I actually like and enjoy and they want me. And I'm like, man. Because because what, what's interesting, I think, about um, stories, specifically, I think, where, where people are doing something that is, um, that's going to end up testing who they are. Mm-hmm. So much of your retrospect of that is how supportive you felt in the journey, right? Like, it feels very different when things are challenging and you feel like no one ever had your back in the idea of it. And it feels very different when you know you had support to get there and you then start facing challenges because it wasn't like you, ultimately you took the journey alone, but there was some level of community around you and around your decision. Now, with that said, let's talk about family, right? So, so, Mentioned a girlfriend. What about your family? So, like, were you from a tight family? Were you from a family that, that you know, where where you leaving was gonna create some distance? Like, how did that work out? Well, I mean, me and my my immediate family, my mom and my little brother, yeah. we uh, we got a great dynamic. Um, and then with me going to school in Florida, that was really the first step of us being separated. Okay, I tried now no longer being. I'm saying a triangle. So, and then my brother's just a year younger than me. So after I went to college uh, in Florida, he played football as well. He went to college in California. He went even further. So it's yeah. like, our dad, we was already used to, you know what I'm saying, us being at a great distances from one another, not speaking to each other every day or not seeing each other regularly. And um, our, the way our tribe is, and how we move, we ain't got to sit here and talk and shoot the shit every single day. We can go days without talking, but yeah. when, when we come back together, we're just picking up exactly where we left off. It's no ill will, no malice, no bad blood, none of that. You know what I'm saying? So, um, I tapped yeah, in with your, your mama's. Your mama's baby is going to China. This is what I agree. Your mama's baby is going to China. She is one of two things. She is excited, yeah, <laughs> or she's like. Are you sure about this? <laughs> right. So, so where does she fall into this, 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 this uh, spectrum? Well, this is where I get my traveling from. She's a Sagittarius as well. So, okay. me and her, we, we, she, she, an older female version of me. Essentially, she's been been to Africa multiple times. She's been yeah. in Europe multiple times, um, and she's been in China twice now. You know what I'm saying? So, when I told her about the opportunity in China, that was just more than enough reason for her to go all the way over there one and then first thing she said um and i wrote it i write about it in the introduction of 14 days in beijing um 
I flash back to a table conversation we was having when we was kids. It was Saturday morning at breakfast. She asked my brother and I, what's three places in the world y'all want to go? And I made sure that we go. China. I was the first one to answer quick, ready. And she was just like, because I was just so confident, so quick with my response. She's like, why China? Only logical reason I had at that point in time was like, that's where everything is made. Yeah. Yeah. Only, only reason I had, you know what I'm saying, at least seven, eight years old, however, you know what I'm saying, however old I was, whatever age I was at. But little did I know that conversation would not only be a catalyst of change, but be a manifest, be part of, you know what I'm saying, I would manifest something that I truly, truly wanted to do. You know what I'm saying? Just her making us voice our opinions and our wants and our desires out like that verbally. Um, so it just came full circle, really, when I told her. And she was like, oh, yeah. Do you remember that conversation we had? I was like, yeah, that's just crazy. <laughs> that's just crazy. So, so, um, all right, so two things. One is you mentioned being a Sagittarius twice. Yeah. I have no idea about signs, so... Um, <clears throat> Forgive me for that. Like, I'm a Libra. I don't know what being a Libra means, except my birthday's in two weeks. Um, <laughs> people say the scale thing. I don't really know. I feel like I probably might be all of what a Libra is or none of what a Libra is. But, 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 it, like you, my mom had the same sign as I did. So my mom mm. was a Libra, and I was a Libra. Or I'm a Libra, my mom was a Libra. And so um, we shared... Um, uh, a very similar energy, right, in the way that we approach the world. Yeah. Um, I never, never attributed it to us being the same sign. But as I'm listening to you, I'm like, well, maybe it's because we were both Libras. The other thing uh, that I think is 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 interesting, at least for me, is is that sort of like you, I I I had this experience. I don't know if you ever remember those. Do you remember the? the uh, viewfinders so you used to wear it and mm. it used to have the little click button to it yeah yeah, yeah. things right so i grew up in east new york and brooklyn i didn't travel outside of brooklyn very much until um until i was maybe like 14 i went to boarding school uh after my my, my folks died but um i remember looking at greece and I, somebody gave me like a a world country thing. I remember looking at Greece in a viewfinder and then actually making it to Greece mm. and remembering it from the viewfinder and then being um, a Toastmaster and talking about it. Because I think there there's so much power in memory, right? And in, in, in your memory of this, com- or your mom's memory. It might not even be your memory. It might be hers, right? But the, in, in memory of um, someone affirming something, right? And then that thing actually happening and how um, the universe really does work in affirmation, right? In identities, in what we say about and what we affirm about ourselves in our lives. The universe ultimately works in that. And it's really ultimately up to you to kind of decide how you respond, right? Do you respond in in a way that allows for, for whatever the universe responds to empower or not. Like you might tell the universe, Hey, remove all negative people from my life. And then somebody might die. Oh, now, I'm not saying that you caused the person to die. What I'm saying is, is that you then can't say, well, universe, 
why, 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 why would somebody who I cared about die if you're asking for the universe to do things, right? Mm-hmm. And, and not saying that there's a causation effect. What I'm saying is, is that, is that we oftentimes put things out and then when it happens, we mm-hmm. ultimately decide how we input that information. Do we then go, well, um, I hope the best for that person. I'm going to move forward. I'm going to move forward and create new space for new loved ones. Or do we go, God hates me. God hates us. God, right. Whatever that looks like. Right. And so, mm-hmm. and, and I'm, I'm saying that because I think it leads into a greater part of the conversation, which is eventually something in Beijing goes left. And, and in going left, doesn't mean that, that the childhood you that said that you wanted to go to China is no is is not right in affirming your rightfulness to go to China. It means that when something happens, we have to recognize that we ask the universe, the universe delivered, and whatever happens in that space is what happens, right? Like we can't dictate like universe, I want to go to China, but I really want it to be a great experience. I want to Right, because at that moment we're just declaring to the universe what we want. So I wanted to preface that because I think that's an important thing, right? Like you were affirmed in it, there was this memory of it, but it doesn't ultimately dictate a value system of good or bad or indifferent. It means that you got there. And whatever happened when you got there is what happened and how you responded to that is who you are as an individual and what your principles are as a person not necessarily the universe being good or bad to you. Factual. <laughs> Factual. That's, all in all, the tongue is very, very powerful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just be mindful of what you speak, especially when you're speaking on yourself. Yep. 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 All right. So, so your mom remembers, or you remember, y'all remember this moment when you said you want to go to China. China's happening for you, right? You get there. You said you're teaching younger kids. Mm-hmm. So, so what happens? How, how do you how do you land in um, a correctional facility? What 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 happened? All right. So, um, on April fourth, twenty nineteen, um, it's a day off for me. So I'm uh, getting ready to head to an event, um, like meet with some friends and uh, colleagues, just to hang out, kick shit. So before I slide, I'm like, right, I'm a pregame. For y'all, to, those that don't know what pre-gaming is, say like you and some friends and family members or whoever, you were know, supposed to gonna go out on a night full of festivities, but before y'all actually go out, y'all meet at somebody's house and y'all turn up there first and then y'all go out. That's what we call pre-gaming. Yo, if you don't know pre-gaming, click off this this, this episode right now. <laughs> Pause this episode and you go. I don't know where you're gonna go, but go meet <laughs> the people that are gonna pregame with you. Because if you haven't heard that term yet, then you ain't met the right people in your life. Man, I'm <laughs> telling you. <laughs> so I'm pregaming by myself. I'm in the apartment. Um, got my music playing. I'm drinking some Chinese liquor. Um, and uh, smoking some cannabis at my little silver pipe. I get done. Start getting dressed. Throw my shoes on. Make sure I got everything before I need to leave. I hear a knock at the door. I guess I'm familiar. No, nah, not really. But curious to see who it is. I look through the peephole. 
And on the other side of the door, it's three officers from the Beijing police. <laughs> I was like, ooh. I instantly got, you know what I'm saying? I got food, heart dropped to my stomach. So I'm like, I back away from the door. I'm like, all right. Scramble, put everything up. Yep. Put the rest of my uh, weed up. Go open the door. They walk in immediately. The one in front, he's speaking to me. I have no clue what he's saying. I don't know. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? And it's written on my face that I, family, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. So he then takes out his phone. He speaks into um, a translator app, turns the phone to me, and I read it. Are you on drugs? Nah, bro, you tripping, right? Nah, nah, you tweaking, nah. He's speaking to the phone again. Shows me, are there any drugs in the house? Family, where are you getting this information from? First, hello, how you doing? Ni hao, ni hao ma. You ain't even greet yourself with passport. You might need to see my passport. I'm going to go... Passport, passport. I'm, I'm gonna go grab my passport real quick. Yeah. Clearly, you got you, you got me mistaken for somebody else. So I go fetch my passport, visa, apartment contract, <laughs> all any and every piece of documentation I have. Go back in the living room, slap it on the table, like, huh, bro? This is what you need to look at right here. I don't know what you, what type of time you on, but what type of time we on right here? Yeah. So he sits down. He starts going through my documents. The other two officers are walking around the apartment gently, you know what I'm saying, just scanning it, scoping it out. Not really looking into it, but they got wandering eyes for sure. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? They tell me to sit down at my table, at the dining room table. I sit in the living room, so I sit down, and now I feel like things when I end well. A few minutes pass, and I hear footsteps coming from down the hall. Yeah. So... Mind you, they never closed the front door after they came in. <laughs> so I leaned back to see who's coming down the hall. It's another officer. And he has something in his hand. I really can't tell what it is. Nor am I feeding too much energy to it. I'm, how am I going to finesse this situation? How am I going to get myself out of this situation? Yeah. So he enters the apartment and hands the item to the officer that was looking over my documents. That officer then communicates to me that I need to uh, pin to the code. So it's a drug test right there on the spot. And right then and there, I was like, yeah, it's over with. <laughs> so it's over with. I just got done smoking prior to these folks knocking on my door. Wait, so so very differently where um, in the U.S., it's about a sobriety test. doesn't really care what you do. Mm. The question is, do you have the capacity to execute a certain amount of maneuvers in order to be deemed safe to drive, to walk, to continue on, um, and 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 and, and the, there's a, a very small likelihood that that's ever happening in some level of a living space, right? This is usually outside, you know, <laughs> disordered, uh, drunkenly disorder, um, you know, drunk driving, right? Like where where there's applying these tests. So this test was applied in a place where you were living um, to determine if you, who hadn't displayed erratic behavior, who was working <laughs> in the education system, who was about to go out to meet your friends, had done some, some form of a drug, didn't really matter what form of drug it was, it just was a drug test. Right there on the spot. They have this saying that there's no why in China. Okay. So when you when you told to do something, you're supposed to do something, you just do it. Here in America, we always need an explanation of well, I don't, you know what I'm saying? I don't want why why I need why. No, no, 
don't know. So, so I kind of disagree with you, Chancellor. In China? I no, no, no. I, I think I think in the U.S. I think that that um, that people of color, descendant of enslaved uh, folks, don't really get to ask why. I think a broad America gets to ask why. Mm. I don't think that that we really get to ask why. Um, mostly because why ends up being a cause for escalated violence, right? <laughs> like, like, like people want you in handcuffs and suppressed before explaining what, what what actually happened to get you here, right? So oftentimes in videos and experiences, you find that people here don't, at least people of color, brown people don't get to ask why until they are already being, they're already under arrest, right? They're already handcuffed. They're already pushed against the vehicle, right? So I think that there's something interesting in that idea because in China, you don't get to ask why, but as a whole, but I think in this country, a lot of black and brown people don't get to ask why until an officer ultimately wants to give them a validating reason. For sure. For sure. That's one aspect of it. So yeah, I, 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 as you're talking, right? I'm putting it together because yeah. in that aspect, I'm just talking about in general. When the police ask you something, mm -hmm. just do it. Like I was always told that might not be for everyone yeah, else. Yeah, but, sure. Uh, my family, but 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 a lot of my friends, specifically my non people of color friends, they never had that that conversation. They were always taught to challenge authority, ask mm -hmm. why you're being pulled over. Um, don't give them information if they don't have just cause. I was always told for my own safety and security, do what they say, just get out the situation. Do whatever it takes to for walk sure. away from that situation because sure. you are safer walking away and doing whatever they say than you are trying to challenge that level of authority. So I even see myself in China just being like, I'm going to do whatever y'all say to get out of this. And then when the drug test happened, being like, oh, man, this is going to be bad, bad. It, it, bad. Was, it was like, yeah, I, I feel you. I feel you. I just, yeah. every circumstance, it just depends on the circumstance yeah. and how educated you are to challenge somebody like that. If you have, if you got up there with the ass and you really outsmart the ass, then that's a whole completely different situation. You yeah. might still get you might get arrested or whatever, but on the on the back end it's gonna play out in your favor because you were standing your ground and that's your right as an American yeah. over there in body, China. And body cams change that America, right? Body cams, social media has changed yeah. what that looks like. But there was a time period, like nineties, early two thousands, oh, yeah. before body cams were mandated, where anything could happen to you and it was oh, yeah. Your word against an officer's yeah. word about the the occurrence of events. Right now, I think it's a little bit more not because I think society has changed, but access to information has changed, mm -hmm. and therefore yeah. people have to be more accountable. But yeah. in a place like China, which I which I have no idea what that looks like, yeah, so so there, you don't ask why this guy comes in. He comes with a. Um, a drug test, and your first thought is what? It's over with. <laughs> so as yeah. soon as he's like, you like, he just made, he didn't even say penis. He just made a gesture because we can't uh, language barrier. So he just made a gesture. He mimed out peeing in the cup. So I was like, oh yeah, so 
is a now, lot. How, so, so is this one of those things that 15 minutes, an hour, like there's different drug tests, right? There's ones that come yeah. back. So, so, so how quickly did your actual results come? Or did you even get to the point where there were was results? Or you just like, take me in, I'm I'm good. Thank you. The longest period, the longest part of that process was me just being having to pee. Yeah. Like, cause I I had I dead ass ain't had I don't know if I was just scared shitless <laughs> or the fact that I really didn't have to pee. You know what I'm saying? Proving to get the drug test done was you know what I'm saying it's like okay, this is difficult, my friend. Yeah. I, I was like, I got some water, can I kill the water in the dr- truck? So they let me sit down, I'm chugging water, chugging water, chugging water. I feel like I don't even know how long we sitting there, probably like 15, 20 minutes, maybe 30 minutes. And then finally feel like a little urge. So I'm like, okay, let me try it now. Um as soon as I was able to, you know what I'm saying, I peed into the cups, handed it to the officer, they said that thing on the table and they all huddled around it. And like a few seconds later, they all just started looking at each other. Like, now, now, now we know that, you know, um, that your analysis, uh, pee test, pee, piss test, drug test, um, that they work based on what's currently in the system, right? So, so, I imagine that what you had just smoked wasn't what had metabolized at that point, right? So was this something that you were just kind of recreationally doing as you were just in the in Beijing and just kind of living your life? Or was this something that was kind of specific to this night and this thing happened at the wrong occurrence at the wrong time? I was smoking the whole time I was out there. I was right. the whole time I was out there. Got it. Got <laughs> okay. It. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't like this thing just picked up something no. that was early in the system. It was just this is a, a accumulation yeah. over time of of what you were up to. Now, before I even ask you how how the case went out, were you thinking how did this happen? Like, was it a neighbor? Were you were you trying to figure out like how this even happened? Because it it it's sort of random that yeah this many officers know to come to your place, right? So were you trying to figure out as this was happening, like, how did this even occur? Like, was there any question or answer of, like, you know, how? Wh- why are y'all here? Or, like, what what's going on here? Well, and was yeah. there an explanation well, as yeah. to what I the asked was? questions in regards to... Um, I really ain't asked no questions at all. I asked not a single question. I didn't keep my mouth closed. <laughs> but what, as far as me just thinking and reflecting, yeah. I'm like, what could have provoked it? I'm like, man, I have no clue. I'm like, bro, this is my first time smoking in this apartment. Yeah. But we, I'm like, bro, we've been doing this for like six months now. So I'm like, I don't know what. Re- That's still a mystery to this day. I get asked that question all the time. I honestly don't know. All right, cool. I so they're huddling down. They look at it. They eventually look at you. Yeah. And so the uh, officer that was pretty much doing most of the broken communication with me, he walks up to me, he's like, I'm sitting there like, what you talking about? He's like, Dama. I don't know what you're Dama. Like, I'm, I'm context clues for sure. But I'm, I, yeah. I'm from Atlanta, but live by the finesse, die by the finesse. I don't know what you talking about, but yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So, um, throughout the course of me working, um, uh, the drug test, more officers has have entered the apartment. So now we started off with three. Now we're up to about like five or eight. No, it's about like six to six to eight officers in the apartment now. Okay. Uh, 
they, and they really want me to do you know what I'm all my things. And one of the officers um, that entered after the fact spoke English fluently. So he's sitting there and he questioned, okay, your drug test proves that the last time you smoked was recent as a week ago. Yeah. So, who you get the weed from? Where, where was you? When the last time you smoked? Who, you know what I'm saying? Who was you with? He just trying to see if I had different, any type of information. I'm from Atlanta. We live by the finesse. We die by the finesse. So, I'm just sitting there shooting shit with this man. First thing that come, to, he asked me a question. First thing that come to my mind, I'm just blurting out. You know what I'm saying? I'm just blurting out the answer. For whatever come to my mind. It got so bad that I was catching myself lying. So, I knew for a fact he was catching me lying, but hey, I'm from Atlanta. We live by the finesse. We die by the finesse. So once he realized that I wasn't gonna give him any information to work with, he pretty much put his question towards, you know what I'm saying, just where my stash was. He yeah. kept asking, Are there any drugs in the house? I'm like, nah, bro, ain't no drugs in the house. He asked me something else. Are you sure there ain't any drugs in the house? No, nah, bro, ain't no drugs in the house. Okay, I told you that before. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? He just kept picking up and getting the drugs in the house. So once he realized I wasn't giving nothing to work with, he said, Are you sure there are any drugs in the house? And like a bag or a container or something? As soon as he asked, though, as soon as he said that, I was like, oh, yes, I would. Because <laughs> that's exactly where I put my the rest of my uh, flowers. So I was like, oh, yes, I would. So I was like, you know what I'm saying? At that point in time, I was just hanging on to hope that they didn't come across my backpack. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I was still geeked up. I'm still high. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's a critical hour. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm getting blitzed by 12. I'm pissing down my leg. <laughs> the moment's yeah. too big. But as soon as he said, like, is it in the back of the tank or something? I was like, whew. like just I was just huge because like okay, it's over with. Yeah, I'm just sitting here trying to just finesse the situation. It was getting stressful. Now, yeah. hey, like I said, you live by the finesse, you die by the finesse. I gotta die by the finesse this time. It's and it's okay. I live to finesse again. Yeah. Now I just had to hold myself accountable at this point. Yeah. So it is what it is. I'm like, yep. It's it. All right, get up and show me. I get up. Go to my room to show them where my stash was, and long, as soon as I walk in my bedroom, everything was right there laid out on my bed. So they been had found it. They was just trying to see if I was gonna give them yeah. in, in, extra information. So yeah. they um confiscated everything, asked me if I <laughs> needed a place to get dressed. I'm like, no, nah, I was getting ready to walk at the door prior to y'all knocking on it. So I'm I'm ready. <laughs> they t- uh, saw me turn around and throw the handcuffs on me. Escort me out the building and sent me down to the police van. And now I'm just sitting there just reflecting. Just like, damn, bro, this shit is really happening. Um, I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. They ain't look like they're going to explain anything either. Um, yeah. I'm like, I'm going to find out sooner or later. So just, we're going to see. <laughs> we're going to see. So we go to one precinct, it's right down the street. Yep. Only there for a little bit. And then we go from that precinct to another precinct. And that's why I'm, we're there for uh, far longer. Um, but my official interrogation is done there. And that's dramatic within the book because they take me to the basement of the precinct and to this room and lock me into this all metal chair that looked like an electric chair just to do the interview. Yeah. Um, but by that time, I had plenty of time to come up with a good story for next day with. So after that, had my mugshot, fingerprints taken, then back into the holding cell I went. And well, listen, no, no, no. Now this is the point where people got to buy the book, right? So if you want to know what happened, <laughs> or you have to buy the book. You can give the book away. You have to do some more introspection, some more stuff. 
But I think that there's something interesting in holding it back. Now, listen, he might have actually told this on another podcast. I don't know, guys. I don't know if he has. And so you may look up Chancellor and find out the rest of the story. But for this one, I'm not going to let him let – I'm not going to let him give it away. <laughs> I'm this with him being put back in the cell after his official interrogation. He has now been caught with cannabis. He is living in Beijing as a teacher, and he has to figure out what then happens to him. Now, this was turned into uh, a book at first and then took on some different forms, like an audio book. Um, what, what, so give us the title for the folks that are now interested in finding out what happened to you after this. Yeah, so the title of the book is called 14 Days in Beijing. 14 days. So 14 days in Beijing is not the total amount of time that you were a teacher. It is actually the total amount of time that 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 this situation is is encompassing, right? Yeah. All I right. See. So if you, you want to know more about the 14 days that Chancellor spent in Beijing uh, facing the Chinese justice system or incarceration system, then uh, you can go buy his book. Where can they, can, can they buy your book at? Amazon, um, as well as my website, ChancellorKJackson.com. All right, cool. Now, I want to pause for a second uh, because uh, in in learning more about your art, I then found out that there was music, there were books, like you were just sort of morphing into spaces. So talk to me, like, you went from athlete football player to creative. Was that always in you, or was that something that you discovered as you moved along in life? Um, that as I moved along in life, um, elementary school, I really ain't like to do anything too creative. I really wasn't into anything creative, actually. And I think back on it, um, I felt like it was that's more work than I had to do. Like, if I had to turn in a project, it's going to be plain Jane. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? All that. Nah, I can do that. You know what I'm saying? If you're pressing online about it, you know what I'm saying? It's going to affect the grades for sure. But if I don't have to, yeah, for sure. Forget it. But um, I want to say middle school. Probably once I hit middle school, that's when uh, the creative aspect started to expand, especially yeah. when I And the biggest form of creativity as a child is the way you dress. Simply, yeah. you know what I'm saying, it's very simple as that. So, I'm um, just changing the way I do thing. I dressed completely different. I was just, I just, because in fifth grade, I was a fifth grade class president, so I always dressed more formally and casually. So, sixth grade, I let I loosened up a little bit more and wore more. Just you know, what I'm saying, regular clothes, street clothes. Um, and then once social media came into play, that's when, um. Yeah, creativity really just took off, and I feel like once Facebook really started to grow, at least from <laughs> my generation, we ain't started getting on Facebook to like eighth grade, ninth, really ninth grade for me. But I knew people that was on Facebook before then. Yeah. But yeah, I'm on Facebook around like ninth grade, so uh, different um, posts. You know what I'm saying? You can post your status, just creating games. All right, so like, you like my status, I'll write you a whole letter. You like my status, I'll write you. One to ten, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, status, you do, I'll do this. You know? So just getting creative in that aspect, and then it translated to um, once Instagram came. Oh, now we got memes, uh, just different. Before we was doing like, little skits, before the skits, 
it was like frames, like collages of pictures to <laughs> like a comic book almost. Yeah. So Tell story. Yeah, yeah, this display skit versus the video. Yeah. So that was it. And then I got into modeling just as a hobby, photography as a hobby. Um, but playing football, that's where my main focus and attention was. And then um, junior year, yeah, I started going crazy on Instagram. Um, I was, yeah, I was, I guess you, what you can call it, uh, consider an influencer. I was like, I had like 10,000 followers in high school and stuff like that. Um, I know I got up to like 15K, for real, for real. But um, then once I got to college, shit, college football now, it's, it's about strictly business, man. I, <laughs> I ain't got too much time to devote to that and to athletics. But um, so, so I'm, I'm going I'm to ask you what, I'm going to bring it back, but I, I don't want you to reveal too much so so how did how were you able to uh while being incarcerated um find some level of thought around creativity right you oftentimes find people that are incarcerated writing writing lyrics, rapping, freestyling, drawing, painting, creating. Was there anything in that time period that sort of informed some level of the art that you see that you're producing today? Yeah. Um, uh, it was really only because literally all I had. So I was locked up 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 15 men to one cell, nine wooden beds, three soups a day. And all I had for 14 days straight was one Tupperware bowl and one plastic spoon. That's all I had. You know what I'm saying? So it wasn't like we had a lot of things to entertain ourselves with. Now nah, your ass just sitting there for real, for real. Um, so just with my limited resources, I was able to um, create my brand logo, or at least my logo uh, for my publishing company now. Um, that while I was in there. <laughs> using the bar of soap drawn on the wall. <laughs> yeah. That's how I came up with that. Um, and I, cre- I started writing a poem. started creating a poem while I was in there. And I finished it once I got out and uh, started writing the book and stuff. Okay. Was the only two things I was able to create while I was in there. Okay, listen, that, that's, still, that's still a lot. Um, talk to me about family now, right? So, so you have this experience were you able to contact your family during? Yeah, I ain't uh, touched base with the tribe until seven days in. Seven so days I was like, in. yeah, seven days in. That's when I was able to touch touch base with them, and it was very, very brief. But that was it, though. And one I time, think, I think you had you had right in, in this fourteen day experience, you spent half now. Uh, yeah. You don't know that you're spending half, but you spent half now. But in, at the very least, seven days is enough time to like for the the circumstances that you're in to really settle in where you're like, this is, this is at least in the short term, a routine that now I understand mm-hmm. yeah. is kind of day one where you're really just trying to figure out still, like, how did I get here? Thanks. Um, so talk to them seven days in, you talk to them after how much, I don't know if I'm, I'm going to ask you to give some something away. Uh, I'm gonna framework it like this. Did you spend very much time in China or or did you have to spend very much time in China after you were released? 
Oh, no, not at all. No, as soon as I was released, put me straight to my apartment to pack up the rest of my shit and straight to the airport. (laughs) You decided something that they decided and they decided separately, but it was a it was a mutual kind of decision. Like what? what, what? (laughs) That's just how that's they process. You were like, like, thank you. No, that's just that's how they process work performance. As soon as you uh um well the immigration dude has to find you. You have to let the immigration dude know somebody that can buy you a plane ticket for whenever your time is up. Yeah. All right. Now, once you, your time is up, that don't mean you get out that same day. Yeah. As a foreigner, you know, say you got sent to ten days. All right. You gonna do them ten days for sure, but yeah. you are gonna do a little extra afterwards for sure. Yeah. You ain't gonna know really anybody did their. You know what I'm saying? Did their time and was out the same the same exact you know same day that they were supposed to be or at least when their sentence was up. No, nah, they don't work like that. Immigration dude has to find you a ticket. And depending on when he, that ticket is, that's gonna be a release date. Um, yeah, so as soon as uh so when it's time for your flight, the day of your flight, all right, come on, get the rest of your stuff, get on up out of So so uh so from that experience, she wrote the book, right? Um, how how have you or have you been able to use the book to like teach to workshop, right? Because you started in teaching, right? Yeah. So so has the book been a vehicle for you to to now still teach or still workshop, or is it just a book or what? What? How have you? Yeah. I've been able to um, the book what you're already doing. Yeah, so um I'm also I've been working as a life coach to at risk teens in um in Cobb County. Um partnered through this nonprofit that one of my former track coaches uh is the founder of. Um so we was working with teenagers that you know what I'm saying either got locked up for drugs or just got locked up for doing some something hot, you know what I'm saying, just yeah. doing something crazy and the judge like you can do this jail time or you can bring the program to rehabilitate yourself. So they decided to join the program. Um so we was just working with them and we used fourteen days in Beijing um to pull our lessons from. So we would read a chapter and had discussion questions already prepared for them. Um and it was just based on life skills. So it was like um, racism, uh, just identity, uh, um, interviewing and uh, answering questions, or interviewing slash interrogation. Like so, knowing how to answer questions, knowing when to elaborate. You know what I'm saying? When to just give exactly uh, what them folks asking for. Like, and that can that can dictate if you're actually in an interrogation or if you're actually in, in a job interview or some sort. You know what I'm saying? Just know how to answer questions and know how to communicate. Just simple stuff like. That. Um, and just pretty much we learning about Lucky and his experience getting locked up and uh, locked up abroad for weed. Like you done got locked up for meth. You done got locked up for you know what I'm saying some crazy. You know? <laughs> it was yeah. like okay, let's read Lucky's story. Let's see how his mindset was throughout so, the course. So that actually a, a good point. That was gonna be my next question. So, so it it is. It seems to be partially autobiographical, partially mm-hmm. fiction because it's funneling this story through another protagonist. That's yeah. outside of yourself, right? 
Yeah, essentially. It's me, but we got to call myself lucky in the book. Okay. All right, cool. So, so, so what, 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 what made the determination uh, that made this uh, a, a book of fiction where you're funneling your experience through someone versus making this autobiographical or um, a memoir in that sense, yeah. you're just telling your own story. Why, why create a, 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 another identity that this experience has happened to? Um, just to, cause well, really once I wrote 14 days, like when I finished, when I first wrote it, yep. it was therapeutic. I mean, it was just like a huge, huge weight lifted off my shoulders. Cause I, I got back in, uh, in April, that same month, you know, since 2019, but I ain't start writing the book till like July. So for those, that span of time, I just carried all of that weight on my shoulders. In addition to all the other BS I was going through at that point in time. So once I wrote the book, and just how great I felt after just finally, finally letting that shit go. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm looking at it. It's on screen now. You know what I'm saying? Like, and it's like, damn. It's not in my mind. It's not no longer like cloudy. None of that. So it was just very, very therapeutic for me. So it's like me just, okay, I endured it. I went through it. But now here I am sharing it to the world. So it is still my story, but we going to make it. You know what I'm saying? In China, I went by, I, that was my alias, Lucky. Yeah. So I, I was a whole completely different person, essentially. I was still me, but you know I'm I got to create, a, I'm saying I just create a whole new identity for myself because um, I'm in just a completely different part of the world. You know what I'm saying? Whole brand new place. So I was like, that was a journey that Lucky went through. You know what I'm saying? And I just wanted to, we're going to call it, you know what I'm saying? We're going to continue to call the you character Lucky. honor that identity and what that identity experience. Oh, me, for sure. So, so, Okay, cool. So that happens. You come home. Then a whole pandemic happens. <laughs> Man, right? Like, 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 right? Like, in, in, in a world where, like, what else could happen? A pandemic happens. So how how did you spend your time in the pandemic? Right, which really kind of you're talking. We're talking about spring, summer, twenty nineteen. The pandemic yeah. really. Is it's it's and I remember hearing about things in China around that time. Obviously. Yeah. Right, because Chinese New Year, all that stuff, right? So when the pandemic hits the states, kind of January 2020, right? So, so what has life been like where mm-hmm. you had this sort of employment that you had this this thing happen to you that you wrote a book, and now you're 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 helping at risk teens? Like, how did you spend the pandemic? Was it reflective for you? Were you excited? Were you creating like? How did you spend your time? Because you had this very clear circumstance happen to you, and then a very clear circumstance happened to the rest of the world. Yeah, man. Um, really, the pandemic played huge, played a huge, huge role in just the success of Fourteen Days of Beijing when I originally, originally released it. Because um, I remember I was feeling I. So I got locked up on April 4th, 2019, right? Yep. April 4th, 2020 was the day I released the original version of 14 Days of Beijing. Yep. But it was on pre-order you know, like five days prior. Um, but I was supposed to be <laughs> and this is so this is like late March. Late March. This when everything shut down, at least Atlanta. Yep. Atlanta was one of the last cities to like really put everything on lockdown. 
So it was March. It was late March when Atlanta went on lockdown. I was just like, damn, because I was just I was finna go on the world tour. I was finna be in London. I was yeah. finna be on the day after London. I was going on a cruise and on that cruise, I hit like five different countries. So and while I was on this world tour, fourteen days of Beijing was going to drop. So yeah. I was like, I was gonna have a huge build up of marketing, just me in different places, promoting the book and all building up to the actual release date. And I can't even remember what country I was gonna be in when it actually dropped, but I was gonna have a huge I'm talking, I was gonna go crazy. Boom, everything's shut down. <laughs> and I was just like, Oh man, that just really I'm like, but I don't even know how I don't know how I'm finna go about, you know what I'm saying, marketing the book now, but Everything going on lockdown, everybody being forced to stay in the house. And so with that being said, people have a lot more time on their hands. Yep. It was just played perfectly. So all I did was just um I'm like, well, I'm gonna have to stick to the internet and just promote it on the internet because we can't be outside. So and I'm like, that's what you do best anyway. You've been on Instagram doing your thing with that for since high school. So I waited to the middle of the night and I did was just change my my all my profiles. Profile picture, pills, name, everything. Everything was geared towards the book. Yeah. And then um, the next day, I didn't upload no pictures. I removed all my pictures on Instagram, just cleaned it all up and just changed everything. And same with Facebook, Twitter. I just cleaned it all up and changed it. And just for me doing that, I'm talking about this spark. The buzz just started then because, okay, what's going on? He done changed everything. What is this? And then uh, I posted the first post. And it just went crazy because the photo shoot was hard. You know what I'm saying? You look at the cover, the cover, you know what I'm saying? The cover is very, very captivating. So even though some people was like, okay, I don't know what this is exactly, but man, it looks dope. You know what I'm okay, yeah. it's a book of some sort. I really don't know. But he has whatever it is, it's available for pre order. I'm just going, you know, and then people, people, I get, you know what I'm saying? I got a good face card. So people, people mess with me. Um, so. Man, it just started going crazy, and um, I just I already had my rollout plan, just how the pictures I was going to post, the captions I had for them, the dates I was in, times I was going to post them, I already had it all planned out, um, so I just stuck to the plan, and one day, some just told me, like, hey, bro, just go to that, go to the Amazon page and look at it, and I went to my 14 Days of Beijing on Amazon, I was uh, ranked number one new bestseller um, in three different genres, so I was still on preset. Nice. And then dropped and you know what I'm saying, continued to have success and that was like, okay, I'm finna go hard, hard at this. I'm finna put everything I got into this because I wouldn't even expect it for it to have this much success. So I just yeah. you know what I'm saying, just went crazy, just went crazy. And then I ended up actually going on a, a international tour from Georgia all the way to California and back. Um so just having just a bunch of just different content to post and um hitting up influencers. Getting them, paying them to do advertising with the book. I was just going, man. I was going hard, bro. Doing a lot yeah. of different photo shoots. I was going crazy, bro. <laughs> so the pandemic really played out, played well. And that's when, like you, uh, you asked me earlier, like when in that creativeness in you, like really, really. Yeah. That's like once I got back from China. That's when, just it was just full fledged then. So, so the book is out. It's happening. Um. What other things did you start getting into now that you created Juices of Flow? Now that you kind of are starting to feel it and, and you, you feel your impact, right? Like, what are you now thinking and what are you what are you creating as you're going along this journey? So, um, 
with Colet Publications LLC, I want I'm, I've already been working with aspiring authors, you know, saying people that aspire to be authors have yeah. ideas of stories, or you know, what I'm saying just don't know how to put it on paper and or publish it, or already done wrote the whole book but don't know how to publish it. Yeah. That's why I'm just offering my services to those people. Um, anybody that aspires to become a published author, you know what I'm saying I have a coaching service for you. I'll walk you through the whole process for sure. You know what I'm saying, and or yeah, I can, we can tap, we can uh, put together an outline and create a whole line schedule. Whichever one you want to do, I got options. You know what I'm I got options for. Um, so that uh, I also have a car rental business. Turo, I get cars out on Turo. Want to continue to grow that fleet? Um, trying to get into Airbnbs, start uh, uh, moving those, just written those out. Um, I'm gonna, I know I will continue to write books of my own. I just need some more ammunition. <laughs> you know, some more. Uh, like go, to, go to Russia. Molly <laughs> in Russia. Molly in Russia. In I don't know summer 2023. Go. <laughs> <For sure. laughs> no, me. Sorry, you know what I'm saying, but definitely you know what I'm saying. I'm gonna. I know I'm gonna continue to write books. Um, I also I've had I have two more additional books. You love, you learn, and your love never dies. Uh, they're both romance books, but and it's all part of one long series. 14 days. You love, you learn, real love never dies. It's all one long story essentially. Um, and so this also involves love. You said what now? Does this also involve Lucky, like the rest of the book? Yep, yeah, Lucky. So a continuation of Lucky Theory. It's, yeah, the series is called Living Lucky. Got it. Got yeah, it. Living Lucky Got series. It. So, you know what I'm saying? We're just living, you just living Lucky. Yeah, but ironically, Lucky seems to have some of the worst luck in the world. <laughs> it, only, it only works that way, right? Like, people are never really big. They're usually small. People named, yeah. you know, Lil Man is always the biggest guy in the room, right? So so if Lucky was, in fact, Lucky, uh, Lucky should be on Marvel. Like, Lucky should be a Marvel or DC yeah. character. If Lucky was Lucky, right? That would, be a, that would be a code name, not a real name. Um, so... So talk to me about this, right? Like if, if, if I am um, right now considering going abroad and I'm young and I'm, I'm like in my early 20s, maybe first graduate, right? Like uh, from all of your experiences, not just the one where you were incarcerated, but all of your experiences, uh, what's, what's one sort of valuable lesson that you learned in your time, right? Like, in, in, when you look at all of it, the entire mm-hmm. spread of your your experience, um, if I'm listening right now and I'm like, man, that might be something I would consider, what's something that you found valuable in, in, in understanding yourself or life in general or travel uh, during this time? Um, just for us people of color, I say... You realize how powerful you are. You realize how powerful you are and how valuable you are. Um, Cause here in America, you know what I'm saying, especially Atlanta, it's, it's Atlanta's Black Hollywood. You see, yeah. you see black folks left and right. You know what I'm saying. That's why a lot of people, a lot of black people, move to Atlanta and love Atlanta just because of that one aspect in itself. Like, well, I've never seen so many black people this way. I'm like, 
Man, that's crazy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But to go someplace where you're just a rare monody now, like you, every time you see you is every blue moon. You see that yeah. one? Of you? Oh man, um, it's just it, it's 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 very enlightening and it's humbling because being in America, you're so domesticated. So now that you put yourself in a whole completely different realm, a whole completely different world, you learn so much. It's nothing, and it's a challenge. It's going to really challenge you. You're going to learn a lot about yourself. Um, as far, you know what I'm saying? Just putting put in an uncomfortable situation. And on top of that, when you do um, come across other people of color, you have nothing but a, a, a deep reverence for one another. Versus here in America, I can walk down the street right now and pass two, three folks and pay them no mind. You know what I'm saying? But over there in China, oh, what's going on, my boy? Hey! Love my boy. Hey, good to see you, my boy. Hey, yeah. down now, man. Oh, yeah. Like back in yeah. back in the day, it's like on that type of time. And then hip hop is huge. Hip hop is a global, global genre of music. And we all know who has even who's the major influence behind that genre. So when you see you like you go to hip hop places <laughs> and you see all these Chinese folks. Themed pretty much like us, it's just like wow. So, hey boy, we powerful boy. Like little do we know. I'm like, but we got, but we we are such a huge influence. We have a lot of influence on this world. We don't even, you know, what I'm saying like, it's crazy. (laughs) Let's talk influence because two things I ask on this podcast of everyone is, what's something recent that you watched uh, on any streaming or consumed on any streaming platform, podcast, book. That that you really really enjoyed. Like, what's something that's recently influenced you that you really um, feel good about and want to share with the audience? Um, I say, yeah. I'm... Well, listen. I'll, I'll give you. I'll give you. Um, I'll tell you this, right? So, so uh, it could be the last thing you uh, read. Mm. Uh, it could be the last Amazon uh, show that you watched. Uh, it could be whatever you want. You get to decide. But what's something that's been influential? It might be something that that you watched recently that you watched before and that you yeah. saw again. But what's something that is that 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 you recently experienced that that really has um, that you really enjoy? Um, I say definitely, well, I guess anytime I listen to Nipsey, anytime I listen to Nipsey Hussle, he, Nipsey has had a huge influence on my life and how I go about branding and executing all my endeavors. Um, just going to, just taking the long road, you know what I'm saying, the marathon route, you know what I'm saying? All independent, all money in. You know what I'm saying? You all full hands on deck. Um, and now you don't, because you don't put so much energy and so much effort, so much blood, so much tears into whatever that is. And now you put out into the universe and then to see it, man, to see the positive feedback that it, man, that it, it catapults, catapults it is just like, it's rewarding. Yeah. It is truly, truly rewarding. Damn, but I wrote it down and I followed through. And people is fucking people love it. That's something I created. That's something with my name on it. Yeah. I own that. 
Yeah. Ownership. That's powerful right there. You know what I'm saying? A lot of people, a lot of our people don't own shit. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They ain't got, you know what I'm saying? They don't got anything that, yeah, they said, this is mine right here. I possess this. Yeah. So it's just, and, and, and it's gonna live longer than, than I will, right? Because that's the other part to it, right? Is that that's things right. exist longer than we do. So just being it isn't always enough. Sometimes it has to be put to paper so that or put to captured so that it exists longer than we do. All right. Second question is is all right, so if I ask people that know you, what's something that you enjoy, any streaming platform, uh any book? audio book music that you enjoy that people may not necessarily know that you actually like? Um, <clears throat> like, what's my favorite thing to do is listen to music. Um, so, a lot of people be surprised. If, if you've spent plenty of time around me, then you know how uh, broad my music selection can get. Okay. But, if you ain't spent that much time around me, you'd be surprised what might come on, on uh, what might play <laughs> on my music library. And it, I definitely just, of course, the typical um, hip hop, rap, uh, R&B. R&B is my favorite one. Yeah. Hey, R&B is my favorite genre. Um, but electronic, I like electronic, um, especially if it just vibes off of it. It's good. It gives good vibes off the electronic music as well as alternative. Um, some pop, not too much of that pop. But definitely, I like some rock. The rock, uh, rock is. You know what I'm saying it's all about the vibe. How I, the vibe I get from the song. You know what I'm saying I ain't got. I don't. I don't really hone in on lyrics too crazy. Um, just how I listen to music. This is how I've been trained to listen to music. Um, I don't even really hone in on the lyrics entirely. Um, so just the overall vibe I get from the piece. That's what moves me. Um, it could, yeah, with that being said, it don't matter what type of, what style or what genre of music it is, if it got a vibe that I like, then yeah, I'll vibe out with it. I'll vibe yeah, out man, to I, it. I write some of my best stuff to jazz and to, uh, to, to opera. Um, mm. Mostly because um, it has less words, so I can write more words or create more when it's just music, which probably speaks to what you're saying about electronic music too, right? Right, in the yeah. absence of having to think, use that part of your brain that you're trying to apply to something else, you can use that for whatever you want to use it for. And then you decide that's listening to the music, kind of bobbing to the music um, for, uh, for, for, your, for, for your enjoyment. All right, man. Well, listen, I want to say thank you, man. It has been a great hour of conversation. Uh, I'd like to invite you back to the podcast if you come back on uh, in a future date to talk about uh the writing process right like specifically what the writing process looks like like how you're helping people in the writing process and um and in your journey in writing now three books right so that's the conversation for the future but for now i want to focus on the fact that you have um this one book out that incorporates so much about your your lived experience um so much about your reflection on that experience but but also um, that has opened some doors to um, you know to, to creating more right to, to being multidisciplined. Uh, I imagine it's also important in a way your this this commitment to supporting Cobb County youth. So if you're interested in what Chancellor is doing, check them out. You said the website is ChancellorKJackson.com. Yes, sir. 
All right, so check him out there. Uh, he's on social media, right? So he said it. So check him out on social media. I'll have all the show notes and links so that you guys can get in contact with him and get involved in what he's putting out there. Man, if you're ever in China, might want to keep it to drinking. <laughs> or, or you might want to, you know, get an edible. You might want to get an edible and just leave the whole smoking thing alone, right? Like, <laughs> like, you want to leave that thing alone, get a brownie, eat a brownie, and not have a nosy neighbor. I'm Dion Brown. <laughs> Jay Jackson. We appreciate you for being on Man versus Brand, watching or listening, wherever it's at. Thank you guys so much for your time. Appreciate you all. Have a good one. If this talk resonated with you or could help someone you know, follow me or my guest on all social media platforms. Make sure to look us up on YouTube and check me out anywhere that content like this is being shared. Till next time. Love you. Bye.